So I'm going to tell you up front that I could only choose three, and I actually shouldn't have even done that because we've got, I really want to be respectful of your time. I am going to disrespect it by 15 minutes. So um, I'm going to dive into this. Um, once you've, pro and I'm so sorry, by the way, for those of you who work so hard to write questions, I'm so sorry. Um, maybe I'll do them next weekend. Once you've processed and gone through events in your childhood, do you have to bring it back up again and again and again? Well, I think that's a great question. So here's the thing. Uh, your brain does not delete files. I wish it did. Memories don't get deleted. As you process them, however, the memories do not have the power to drive you the way that they are driving you at present. So they don't get deleted. Because you, and you, but you become aware of it, you understand what's happening, and you know how to kind of regulate through it. And the more you've done that, the easier it becomes. So, no, you don't get zapped and files get deleted. The protector is always working. The protector will pull up the file. It's just the way that it works. But... Now that you have more understanding, you know what to do when the protector is sending you into something and you know better how to talk back to it. So, uh, what does it mean to live by your desire and how do you know, how do we know or get in touch with our deepest desires? Um, the scripture. I will give you your deepest desire. That doesn't mean I'm going to give you what you want. What that means is, what the scripture is talking about right there, it's talking about being moldable. The more time that you spend engaging the Father in the Word, the more He molds you and He molds your desires. So that's the best way that I could answer that, is your desires begin to align with God's desires for you. So, um, how do we know? The other thing, pray. Pray. I, I, I just ask Jesus all the time. If I'm confused about something, what, what's going on there? Why wouldn't we do that, right? That's we're yoked with him. He's always here. I'm just going to turn to him and say, what's that about? So, and then finally, um, something about a small group. Yeah. What advice would you give to members of a small group and to encourage a safe place while still having accountability? Well, I love that question. I could do a whole seminar just on that. First, I want to um, take a zap at the word accountability because I tend to not like it. Usually what an accountability group is, is there are people that make you do what you don't want to do. Right? And see, that goes back to our old way of thinking that we are wicked and that is not in congruence with your new identity. So I'm going to give you a new definition for an accountability group. An accountability group helps you do what you most deeply desire to do. That's what an accountability group does. They don't zap you into line. They draw you out and they remind you what you most deeply want to do. Um, okay. I don't, you didn't ask this, but I'm going to answer it. Um, in our small groups, um, my husband and I have two, and um, 
fairly consistently, we talk about we don't want to share data. We want to share how the data is being used by Jesus to bring something out in you. For example, even if we go through the sermon, which is what we do, we don't want a recap cliff notes of what the pastor said. We already know that. What we want to know is, based upon what the pastor said, what's Jesus saying to you, right? Okay, for example, oh, I'm totally freaked out. We're going to go to court next week. I can't sleep on my word. Please pray, please play, please play. This is what's happening, 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 happening. And we're lost in data. The stuff and the circumstance. We always gently ask, okay, so... Tell us more specifically, what's that bringing up? How can we pray for you in this? So we're just switching the questions just a bit. Again, that takes a good while to teach people not to share data, but how you are responding to data. What's Jesus doing in the data? By the way, that's like the circumstances. What's Jesus doing in this? What's Jesus bringing out in you? Try not to get lost in the data. All right. Last session. We are at the end of our time together. And really, you know, it is always my prayer that those who teach, hear me teach would not merely be entertained or enlightened with some new ideas and maybe some new things to try because, um, you know what, you're not going to remember that by next week. I want you to leave here this is my prayer. This is what I've asked my prayer team. Um, I've prayed for you that you would leave having engaged God. And having engaged God, that you would desire to engage him more. Um, but here's the thing. We've talked about some really deep stuff. Um, some places in your heart, especially this morning, might have gotten reawakened and um, feel tender. And they hurt. And maybe... That actually makes you not want to engage God. So I want to talk about that because that really doesn't always feel good, bringing this stuff up. Because there's no easy answers about why God allows what he allows. And you're not going to leave this morning um, with any answers either. I hope you leave disrupted. I don't know how we can be honest about the impact of life on our hearts without being disruptive. The question is, so where do you go then? Where do you go when it really hurts and it is not resolved and we do not understand? Once again, the scripture, it contains the answers to the questions that you and I often don't even have the courage to verbalize, but God knows what's in our hearts. He hears those questions and he answers them in so many scriptures. He shows us how and tells us exactly where to go with those hard feelings and questions, most specifically in Lamentations and the Psalms of Lament. Bar Mark Vrogop wrote a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies, probably the number one book I'm telling my clients to get lately. It's fabulous. Um, he says this, Lament is how we bring our sorrow to God. Without lament, we won't know how to process pain. Silence, bitterness, or even anger can dominate our spiritual lives instead. Without lament, we won't know how to keep walking through sorrow. 
or help people walk through sorrow. Instead, we'll offer trite solutions, unhelpful comments, and impatient responses. Lament is how Christians grieve. It's how to help hurting people. Lament is how we learn important truths about God and our world. But what does it mean to lament? Like that is like one of those, you know, what do you sit around and burn incense and think sad things? That's, that's one of those really ethereal things that's hard for me to grasp. Um, but in truth, uh, I, I actually think that I and probably you have been doing a form of lament all my life, all my Christian life. And as I've begun to learn more about lament, I am doing lament better. And there is a good way to do lament, and there is a not-so-good way to do lament. So I want to I wanna talk about that, um, because lament for me has now become more about connecting with God than complaining to God. One of my favorite psalms of lament is Psalm 142. I'm just going to read the beginning of it. David says, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. No, I'm going to do the whole thing. Um, Because here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice what David's going to do. He's going to say, I'm feeling this way, this is truth. I'm feeling this way, this is truth. He's going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Notice also where he ends up. This is Psalm 142. I just read the beginning. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they've hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No one, no refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, Lord. Just flipped. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry. Now he's getting bold. For I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal with me bountifully. So I just want to break down what he did there. Number one, he poured out his complaint. Again, we can all be good at that. Complaining. But David poured out his complaint to someone. In his pain, he turns to God, rather than away from him, because of his great faith. That's where he went. Because, see, if he didn't have faith in God, he wouldn't have gone there because what would have been the point? If he didn't have faith in God's power, he wouldn't talk to him about when he needed to change. He could have instead done what I do very often, and that is I complain to everybody, I complain to everybody that'll listen, and then I ruminate, 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 and figure out how to clean up myself. Um, That's bad lament. (laughs) David is taking his complaint to God, and he's showing his sonship right here by talking to his dad. See, he's not ashamed of his weakness, and he's not trying to make his dad proud by not bothering him and figuring out his by personal resourcefulness, how to do it himself. Mm -mm. He's like a little kid. He clearly believes, you can hear it, he clearly believes that God cares for him, or else why would he bother saying it to him? When we pour out our complaint, we are showing where our hope truly is. Who 
do you complain to? That's where your hope is. What he's doing right there, what I call the first step, is he's talking at God. Here's where I am. Unedited, pour it out. So that's step number one. Talk, if you will, at God. Two, listen to God. Because what he starts doing then is he reminds himself who God is. Um, Tim Keller says, we may hear our hearts say it's hopeless, but we should argue back. And you can hear David arguing back. This is what I'm feeling. This is what truth is. This is what I'm feeling. This is what truth is. Now you might think, because of the way that he's saying it, that he is feeling that truth. I don't think you can make that assumption. I think what he's doing is he's stating truth. I don't know that he's being freed by it at that moment. I think he is talking back to his brain. Because here's the strange thing about our brain. Our brain doesn't really know if we believe things or not. Our brain is impacted when we speak truth to it. I don't understand how that works, but it does. There's some strange thing that happens as we begin to state truth. And how do we do that? Well, in the beginning, you just talked at God. Now, shift, listen to God. What's he saying? Now, I know, we're Presbyterians, so it's, I don't know what he says. We don't know. Direct words. We're, okay, well, I'm just going to say, there are times, there are times when I've prayed, and I do feel that God has spoken directly. Uh, I don't hold that up to the word of God. It could be what I get for lunch, but I still believe that God does speak. But it isn't always the way. That, as a matter of fact, usually that's not the way it happens. Usually what happens to me in the form of lament on the second step, what usually happens is a scripture, a segment of scripture will come to mind. And then I Google it. I don't know what we used to do. Remember when we used to have to look up Strong's Biblical Concordance, old ladies, and it was that thick? Oh, my gosh. Now we just have to, we don't even have to type it. We just ask Siri. It's amazing. So anyway, uh, look, you've got a storehouse of scripture in your head, which, by the way, is why you need to be in the Word, because I know you think you don't remember it. I promise you. I promise you. Here's what happens. What comes up is little tiny clips, little tiny clips, and then I want you to follow them. Here is what I'm feeling. God, what are you saying? And again, oftentimes it can be a a segment of Scripture. A segment of Scripture. Look that up. You say, "Well, well, what if I don't get that? Okay, fine. Then ask Siri. Here's what I'm feeling. God, what are you saying? Or go back to Psalm 142. Or any of the Psalms of Lament, by the way, if you will just Google Psalms of Lament, a bunch of them will come on up and walk through that and use that as your way of hearing God. So one is I talk to him. Two is I hear him. Um, And you'll notice here, too, that he's going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. He says... You know, no refuge remains in me. Nobody cares for my soul, but you are my refuge. I'm brought low. My persecutors, they're too strong. But you will deal bountifully with me. 
You see what he's doing? Going back and forth, stating truth to himself. Um, He's fighting back the lies. He is choosing to go back to what we talked about last night. Who told you that? What does God say about what you just said? Now, for me, I didn't get this from the book. I just had to add this in. I will hear the truth. I will speak back the truth. But then I have to do this. I have to say, Jesus, would you help me believe what I just said? Oh, help me believe what I just said. I also want to give you a little technique. Sometimes, um, you know how when you tenderize meat, you, do a, you put a rub on it, right? You don't sprinkle the rub. You rub the rub in so it'll saturate the meat. A lot of the time with scriptures, we sprinkle it. Okay? What we need to do at times like this, right, when we're really in need, we don't just sprinkle. You will uphold me by your righteous right hand. We've got to rub it in. So we say it. And then we allow ourselves, we ask Jesus, would you get it in? Would you feel it? What I'm doing right now is I'm trying to go from the cognitive part of my brain to the experiential part of my brain. And the way that I'm doing it is I'm saying it and I'm asking him to bring it in. I'm saying it and I'm asking him to bring it in. And it might be a pretty continuous process. Don't just sprinkle that scripture. Say it. Let it settle. It didn't? Let it settle again, Jesus, please. Make sense? That's my other thing. Scripture as a rub. Um, All right, so help me believe. And then finally, you will notice in Psalm 142 that he begins to ask very bold things from God. Bold things. So this is the final part of lament. Ask yourself, if I believed, or I'm sorry, if what I just said about God, do not write if I believe, I forgot. If what I just said about God were true, what might I ask for right now? If what I just said was true, what might I ask for? See, I'm not trying to tell you, it's true, say it, believe it. Just let your brain, but if it were true, if it were true, what might I ask for then? If it were true, how might that change how I'm engaging this circumstance? Well, see, I, I think I could begin to believe I'm willing to wait. Because if it were true, because I just said it, it if, if that were true, I, I, I might be willing to do that. I might ask God, help me do that. If it were true, I might ask God boldly, move. Change the circumstance. Yes, that's okay. It's okay. Because if what you just said is true, what would it logically then ask you, get you to ask God for you would ask more boldly and you would probably ask in alignment to what you just said in the scriptures.
I would recommend to you probably because I just basically gave you a little sip from a fire hydrant, but um, I felt really, really strongly that we needed to talk about this because in the context of bringing up story and pain and woundedness, it is absolutely essential that you leave here knowing where to go with that. And your dad is saying, come here, come here, come here. And it might take everything in you to be willing to go there. Because I know that for me, generally it's not this big, yes, I'm going to God. Usually, to be perfectly honest, I am just like Peter when Jesus says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter gives this bold statement of faith and he says, well, where else am I going to go? That's, that's pretty much me in lament. I'm not going to say, I'm feeling bold faith. I'm going to say, I don't know where else to take it. So I'm coming. Here's the bizarre thing. That's enough. That would be so offensive to me. If somebody said, well, you're the only one I can talk to. <sighs> Hello? God is not offended by that. He is not offended by that. He says, okay, come. That's enough. I don't care. Whatever gets you to turn your face to me, whatever gets you to open your heart to what it is that I am saying, whatever it is that causes you to begin to ask me boldly as if the gospel were true, that is where he's longing for you to go. Another way that... I have used to help me lament is music. Um, I'm going to close by playing a song for you. It is a dangerous song. That's why we have Kleenex. Um, it's held, held by Natalie Grant. The backstory of this is uh, this was not, Natalie Grant did not write this song. And even the writer of this song knew a friend who gave birth to a child that had a lot of heart defects. And um, he was actually got treatment. And he was doing really, really well to the point that the physician said, you're good. We can go off the medicine. He was two months old. And within a couple of days, he died. This is a song of lament. She says, two months is too little. They let him go. They had no sudden healing. To think that Providence would take a child from his mother while she prays is appalling. That's my man. Who told us we'd be rescued? What has changed and why should we be saved from nightmares? We're asking why this happened. To us, who have died to live, it is unfair. The chorus. This is what it means to be held. How it feels when the sacred is torn from your life and you survive. This is what it is to be loved and to know that the promise was when everything held, failed, fell. 
we would be held. So listen now to, this is how we're going to end, um, and let Natalie lead you in the mouth.
whatever came up. You are held. You are safe. You can look. And that's what he invites you to. Let's pray. Jesus, we don't know what to do with all the stuff that stirs in our soul. It can take us to a place of confusion. So right now, I ask that you would bring peace because we don't have to figure it out. You are at work and you are after something. And we just need to hear that. And we need you to do your work and keep us from trying harder to do your work. Teach us, Jesus. Teach us to be helpful.